0: Hi there, thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is the show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw. Unlike a lot of the watch-alongs that have popped up over the last decade, at the time of this recording, we're in the early 2020s, ours is not a fresh look in the sense that we've never watched it. We fell in love with the show as children, never fell out of love with it, and Have talked about on the phone for a quarter century now we're recording those conversations afresh the only thing fresh about it is we're just taking a careful look at each episode and then documenting the conversations we have around it comparing our perspectives as young people as grown adults and between the two of us my name is jersey Drozd. i'm a cartoonist and teaching artist the other host is named
1: i am hoover
0: Now, that is a line that we have used on the phone a lot over the years. I am Zedek. My city banks and all that. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we're talking about the Rebirth Part 2, where we're going to meet the villains from Nebulos or Nebulon, depending on who's naming the planet. But Hoover, who wrote the Rebirth Part 2?
1: Well, just like part one, this is by David Wise, and that's a name we saw a lot back in the day. He wrote Attack of the Autobots, Day of the Machines, Microbots, Make Tracks, The Secret of Omega Supreme, Kramzik, Autobop, The Girl Who Loved Powerglide, The Key to Vector Sigma Parts 1 and 2, War Dawn, and Trans Europe Express. That is a lot of episodes, 12 of them. But those were back in season two. Now he's writing the entirety of season four.
0: Wow. David Wise also is the fella who recycled his scripts between television shows back mm-hmm. in the day. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you can hear more about that in Day of the Machines, which is like people have reported that that was the more where, where we were probably the hardest on the show. But who knows? We may exceed ourselves in this one. We tend to try to be positive about this television series because we genuinely love it. But there are episodes, like last episode, which really do sort of make the case that so many people make that these were just commercials for children. <laughs> <laughs> so now comes the time where I read the IMDb logline: Cold. I never read it ahead of time so that I can see if I get caught in any of the grammatical traps that happen when you crowdsource information on the internet. Here we go. <clears throat> the Hive forms an alliance with the Decepticons. Cyclonus allows the Hive to modify the heads of the animal Decepticons so they can become headmasters. The remaining Decepticons offer their weapons to become target masters. After they face the Autobots, the rescued Autobots become target masters. Well, grammatically,
1: uh, yeah? it's okay. It's not A-plus material.
0: <laughs> well it's better than the last time where it's like the autobots got captured and then uh, the other guys help them and there's machines that they know about i don't know why i read it with that voice but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just it, it felt like actually we haven't summoned this image in in many many episodes but like those vhs tapes from fhe where they would have like the guy come in to do the the you know <laughs> the voiceover to tell you about the other exciting Transformers adventures you could have. And it was clearly like some guy who was just around the corner, like in another cubicle, like, hey, your voice is kind of nice. You ever want to do a VO? No, I guess so. What do you want me to read here? <laughs> How will the Autobots stop the evil Soundwave? <laughs> so it kind of like, I, I hear that voice that I have when I think of the IMDb logline last time. This one's a little bit more punchy, but yeah, it's pretty bland, but Speaking of bland, where can people watch this episode?
1: <laughs> well, this is season four, episode two on Tubi, or you can go to the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel and all 98 episodes are there.
0: I, 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 I'm I, making fun, but I think we're going to probably, generally speaking, have a little bit more positive things to say about this one than the first episode, I hope.
1: So hmm Typically, there isn't a single episode of this series that we watch and can't get at least a little something out of.
0: Right, yeah. Even the face of the Nijika, found something there. Even dare I say, Carnage and C Minor, we found some things to go. That's nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, so,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's sort of like a showcase for broadside. So that was <laughs> that was maybe the positive of that one. <laughs>
0: but take us away, Hoover. Where do we begin in part two?
1: Well, so last episode ended with five Autobots removing their heads in order to binary bond to some aliens that they just met a few hours ago. <laughs> Though R.C. is bonding with Daniel, so at least there's no stranger danger there. Spike has finished the modifications, and the Nebulans are picking their Autobot partners.
2: Okay. Duros, you're our combat veteran. Which Autobot do you want to bond with? I'll take Hardhead. Him and me should get along just fine. Arcana, you're the wisest and oldest among us. Who do you choose? I choose Brainstorm. His mind is undisciplined but I find his youthful ideas most refreshing. How about you, Mr. Stylor Man? I'll take Chromedome. Oh, that leaves me with Highbrow. Not my first choice, but he'll do. And the last one's reserved for my boy, Daniel.
1: So every one of the Nebulans walks into the heads like it's a walk-in closet. (laughs) There's a chair that they sit in and everything. It's not like the toys where the nebulans have to bend over and touch their toes and then plug into the bodies. Just imagine if that were the case. I can't bend over anymore. I'm unplugging. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So suddenly there's little grabbers like in a claw machine that descend from the ceiling of a cave and connect the heads back to the bodies. But those grabbers are machines, aren't they? And I thought all machines were evil
0: yeah
1: hmm. anyway the autobots and nebulans all have their first chats while sharing bodies
2: <laughs> hey duros welcome to the club glad to be aboard how
1: you doing rc <laughs> hope you don't mind carrying me around like this
2: you know i don't daniel
1: it's weird i feel like we're a part of each other now
2: i know i feel it too hey eyebrow what's happening I got stuck with
3: you? I was hoping for someone who at least approached my own intellectual
1: capacity.
2: Well, I'm not too thrilled about the accommodations either, but we've got bigger things to worry about.
1: So the five newly created Headmasters all exit the caves, looking to whoop up on some hive machinery. Hardhead and Duros struggle with some Dr. Octopus-like tentacles, While Brainstorm and Arcana fend off against a big tank with two chompy heads with big metal teeth, the Nebulans are able to share their experience and strategy with the powerful Autobots resulting in some quickly trashed hive machinery.
0: Now, I have to say, conceptually, I am just a huge sucker for this kind of idea of any kind of story that really reveals our interdependency Mm -hmm. and how we can learn from one another, even if we don't like one another right like this goes back to like he-man episodes when tila's like working with others can be difficult but if you learn to listen to and respect the opinions of others you find out it's easier to get the job done and all that stuff (laughs) and and i i yeah i drank that kool-aid like i drank it twice but so like i'm picking up on that in this and i think that's actually a genuinely neat idea once again they don't have the room to like this is where you get it everybody that scene is where (laughs) you get it where they fight those hive machines we really at least in this episode don't see a whole lot of that back and forth between the characters, mm-hmm. and how that they can, like, augment each other. It's, I mean, especially with Highbrow and Gort. Like, mm-hmm. the difference between those two characters. You just put Duke in the head of Perceptor. And, well, how's that gonna shake out? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that, that that's automatic character conflict, and they're in the same body. I love it. But, yeah, that's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, before they can celebrate their win, Arcana points out Gort! Such
3: swift devastation has never been committed against the Hive's machines before! Surely the Hive will be aware of it?
2: So what? Let him! We can take them all on
1: now! And we pull back to see the Headmasters on a monitor being viewed by someone. Could it be the Hive? Can that be?
2: Gort and Arcana? We must destroy them, Zarek! Exterminate! Exterminate! No, not yet. Not yet. I wish to observe them. It could prove valuable for us.
1: So we're only shown a close-up of this Xarex's eyes. He's another green nebulan, and voiced by Stan Jones, who voices Scourge. But as a kid, I just knew that this was the voice of Lex Luthor on the Super Friends. I never realized Scourge was voiced by him, too. Pretty good range there. Hmm. So the Hives spy on the Headmasters as they make their way across Nebulos. We cut back to Cybertron, where Prime, Magnus, and some other Autobots are locked in battle against Abominus. Punch zooms up and reports that there's no sign of Hot Rod, Cup, or their crew. And the Autobot clones Fastlane and Cloudraker arrive saying that there's no sign of the key to the Plasma Energy Chamber.
0: Mm, and i'm all mad again because now they once again they show up to say a line that doesn't reveal anything about their personality <laughs> and they just executed a planet-wide search if everybody remembers from the last episode which was all about just showing that optimus doesn't know where the key was Whew. okay
1: <laughs> well prime still has some very bad feelings about all this and he takes off down a shaft into cybertron's underground telling magnus he's going to get some answers and now we finally check in with the Decepticons on Nebulos. They've got their five kidnapped Autobots rigged up to some sort of torture rack outside of their ship. And Scorch wants to know where the key to the plasma energy chamber is. He asks Blur, who refuses to talk. and Then moves on to Cup, who sasses back. I go stick
3: your head in a black hole, Scourge!
1: Scorch doesn't like that, so he flips a switch. And thanks to the great skills of Acom, it's unclear what's happening, (laughs) but it looks like he's probably being stretched and almost pulled in half. Yeah. Hot Rod selflessly yells at Scourge to torture him instead, though Cup claims he can take it.
0: Yeah, this scene doesn't look great. And yeah, like when Cup starts getting stretched, like they forgot to add the ropes that are stretching him, So it just looks like he's kind of like raising his arms at the sky and making a a noise like he's in pain. And while it doesn't look terrific, I do want to high five ACOM whenever I can. And I got to say that watercolored sky, that purple watercolor sky of Nebulos is really pretty. Like You mm-hmm. see this throughout the whole episode, and they actually don't mess it up like they did in like Carnage and C-Minor, where it's like, it's daytime, it's nighttime, it's whatever time, who knows? <laughs> the, the backgrounds are pretty consistent in this, and once again, like they're not painted terrifically, but those skies look really nice. I don't know who did that, but if you want to come over, I'll high-five you for it.
1: <laughs> well, the Decepticon beasts are all sitting together in their beast modes, witnessing the Autobot bravery. Apeface says... Yuck! other Autobots make me wanna puke! And young Hoover, 11 years old at this point, <laughs> thought this was the funniest line in the entire Transformers series. Mm-hmm. He loved it. He told his friends about it at school. He said it over <laughs> and over at home. However, it did not make owning the ape face toy any more appealing. So no, not even the greatest line in three years of Transformers history to an 11-year-old mind could get me to want ape face.
0: Well, if you think about it, it does feel like v- vaguely transgressive in that it's very close to scatological humor, mm-hmm. right? We talked recently about like violent diarrhea and like how like I made like a little seven year old kid like light up with joy because yeah, let's draw some diarrhea together, right? So this, this feels like it's in that neighborhood and... It's hard to impress upon a modern audience who's used to things like, well, name any Cartoon Network show, mm-hmm. where especially the ones where they're dealing with like all this like really sophisticated emotional drama now, like Steven Universe, like, oh, we, we made a show for children. What, what are, is it funny? No, it's really tragic. And they're going to cry all the time. What? <laughs> so but back then, like animation was made really safe. And even as a syndicated show, this this was like an edgier kind of show. But like for somebody to say, I'm going to puke, you just didn't say that. right? Mm-mm. So This
1: was before Ren and Stimpy. This was before Beavis yeah. and Butthead. This was not yeah. something you ever saw on G.I. Joe or Transformers. No character said they were going to puke
0: right right so yeah i could see you sitting in front of the tv being like oh (laughs) mom did you hear that yes i heard it no big i'm gonna say it again i know he said puke oh you said it too (laughs) (laughs) this is is part of the joy of working with children because that stuff never gets old for them
1: (laughs) well cyclonus who is leaned up against the ship with his arms crossed looking really bored isn't liking scourge's tactics You just love to waste your time, don't you, Scourge?
3: What's that supposed to mean? Well, isn't it obvious? If any of these losers had the key, the other Autobots would be all over us by now.
1: And I'd like to point out here that there's been no sign of any sweeps in Season 4. The need for filling out the Decepticon ranks with generics is long gone with the influx of new Decepticons. It is my headcanon that between Seasons 3 and 4, Galvatron was pushed just a little too far at some point, with the Sweeps wanting to go attack the Autobots and Galvatron saying no. And the Sweeps complained a little too loudly and Galvatron stands up and says, You want a battle? And ten minutes later, the Sweeps are just a pile of trash on Char. And Galvatron asks Scourge if he wants to defy him as well, and Scourge definitely does not. So the sweeps are all gone. That's my headcanon. That's one thing about Season 4. It does make me want to fill in all the gaps with stories about how we got here. I do like how Cyclonus isn't taking part in this torture. I feel he's above that. So that feels true to his character. But then he calls the Autobots losers, and that feels a little bit off. Hmm. So he says if the key were here, the other Autobots would be here to retrieve it, and as if on cue, the new headmasters walk through the trees. But five Autobots versus all these Decepticons? There's at least ten of them here. Scourge doesn't think that this will be much of a fight, but the headmasters think otherwise. They charge, and the Decepticons are puzzled to see the Autobots' heads transform into small robots who can also shoot at them. The Decepticons are so stunned that they're slow to draw their weapons, and the Headmasters take them out fairly easily. You get a shot of Daniel firing on Cyclonus, and he literally looks at the camera as if to say, what the hell is happening, as he falls to the ground. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, that would be crazy. You're used to fighting these same robots all the time, here they come again, and now you're watching their heads fly off? Yeah, and yeah, their heads yeah. fly off and transform into smaller robots. You're like, did I have some bad energy on? What's going <laughs> on here? It would be
0: freaky outy for sure. And and that I don't think I think like it's there if you're looking for it, but I don't think it gets really properly expressed. We really need to have like a moment, like, again, again going back to Ape Face wanting to puke, where it's like, this is disgusting. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: this, this is a perfect time for one of the animals to chime in and go, oh, I see what I'm seeing? What uh, go yeah. on? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is also where we can make a note that Daniel, unlike the other nebulans, doesn't have, like, a headmaster-looking body. He just turns into, like, Daniel in the exosuit. Mm-hmm. From Transformers the movie, and so there's also that shock too. It's like, okay, wait a minute, head just turned into Daniel. What am I? Am I tripping? And then Daniel shot me. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it is absolutely reasonable that the Decepticons would be overcome by mm-hmm. this fight, right, and sent yeah. running the
1: way they do. Well, this skirmish has been watched by zarek and the Hive.
2: So that's where Gort and his rebels have been hiding. The heads of those metal beings become robotic exosuits.
3: They're muscling onto our turf! I say we
2: rub them out! Ah, but this development could be most useful to
1: us. We're still only shown an extreme close-up on Zarek's eyes, or rather, his eye. He keeps one closed, so he may only have one. We pull back to see silhouettes of the Hive members, watching a bank of 12 screens on the wall, taking note of what's transpiring during the battle. They're still keeping the Hive members mysterious for now, putting them in silhouette. We cut back to Cybertron, where Magnus is still following after Prime.
3: Prime, where are you going to get these answers you want? From the one who created me. From Alpha Trion.
2: But he's in Vector Sigma, the computer which gave us all life.
1: Prime opens the doors to a large chamber where we see a glowing orb. As they approach the shining sphere, Prime opens his chest, removing the shell of the Matrix, which he hopes will reactivate Vector Sigma. He places it inside the glowing disco ball, and it rises up, showering Prime with bright light. But well, we cut away back to the Battle on Nebulos, where the Decepticons are getting absolutely pounded. The Decepticons run away, and the Autobots even manage to highly damage the Decepticon's ship, and then they move on to freeing their kidnapped friends from the torture rack. Meanwhile, the Decepticons are all marching away on an unfamiliar planet, having had their butts handed to them. Oh, there's an idea! Butt Masters. <laughs> so you can literally have a Decepticon have his butt handed to him.
2: Give me my butt.
1: <laughs> Cyclonus and Scourge are marveling at how the Autobots kick their butt with, quote, secondary operators. Just like what Sade sang about No need to ask, he's a secondary operator! <laughs> While the Decepticons walk, big claw grabbers descend from the tree line and pick Uh, the Decepticons up. I'm going to blame this on them just getting beat up moments ago, but they can't even get away from claws descending from the sky. This is a bad day for the Decepticons. They're all dropped into a literal hole in the ground and put onto a conveyor belt on a purple, green, and black structure that, strangely enough, already has a Decepticon logo on it but let's ignore that. The conveyor belt drops them into a room that's suddenly lit by a bright light from the ceiling. The Hive members sit before the befuddled Decepticons. We get our first full-on shot of Zarek, and would you care to describe him, Jersey?
0: Yeah, okay, so... (laughs) The reason I'm laughing is that the last two times we saw him, they only showed his eyes, and they're all shrouded in darkness, right? So, when we finally see him, we should expect to see something horrendous, right? <laughs> like, that's what I'm expecting, like, oh, wow, in, in, especially because Gort said last episode, like, oh, their bodies are, like, useless because they've mm-hmm. they've perfected their mind power such that their bodies have withered. So, okay, so I'm going to see something kind of, like, maybe not rated R, but I'm going to see something, like, intense, like, there, there's something monstrous about the Hive. They're called the Hive, right? It, it, it doesn't sound like a nice place to live, but we see Zarek finally And he's basically super ripped Ming the Merciless, right? (laughs) Like he's, he's in really great shape. He's got huge arms. Like he makes Dwayne the rock Johnson look like he might need to do a little <laughs> bit harder, you know? And then he's got like the, the, the classic Dr. Fate collar or like the, the wizard collar on a purple cape, some kind of ancient Incan and necklace type of thing. That's all purple and orange green skin tight costume. And then he's got like this long hair and like this weird white mustache coming off the sides of his nose and down like a, like a Klingon mustache. Still got one eye squinted. So, Okay. What, what what what's your hideous monsters? This is reminding me of the Manos Hands of Fate episode of MST3K where they start like <laughs> thinking about like how Torgo's a monster because he's got really big knees, you know, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> did that makes you a monster. What makes Zerka a monster? He's got one eye. Oh, one eye.
2: Torgo's a monster. What do you think, Tom? Well, uh, think that. Uh, sure, yeah. Seems to me that yeah, uh, exaggerated physical attribute. In this case, the knees used to induce um, terror. terror. Yeah, I guess he's a monster. Yeah. Oh, now I really hate this movie.
0: I don't know why the storytellers chose to conceal these villains for all this time only to reveal like he's just a buff version of the other guys we saw earlier in the episode. <laughs> but just imagine everybody green Ming the Merciless with long hair. There's Zarek. <laughs>
1: And as you noted, but was completely unclear to me, Stan Jones, Mm -hmm. does Eric, and he was also the voice actor of the Games Master in one episode of G.I. Joe.
2: There will be another game, Joe and Cobra, and next time, I will win!
1: (laughs) And Mm. I never put it together that this was all the same guy doing all these voices. So Stan Jones had a heck of a range. Unfortunately, he he died back in 1998, so he's no no longer with us. But, wow, what a range to do the Games Master, Zarek, and Scourge. And you listen to those three voices, and I never had any indication that it was the same guy.
0: (laughs) And you'll hear, if you listen carefully to the next couple clips of him you'll hear a little bit of the Games Master in there. He doesn't do quite as much of the wild, wild, pitchy stuff that Games Master does, but you can catch the the tone is very similar.
1: Well, Zarek introduces himself to the alien robots before him.
0: I
2: am Zarek. I have a little deal to offer you, one which will enable you to defeat your adversaries, and all it will cost
1: you is your hands. And this brings us to our very first commercial break.
0: Mmm. Everybody drink in that I am Zedek business because <laughs> he, I think he does it a couple more times in this mini series. And yeah, it's—it's it's, it that that's another one that never gets old for me. Like you could come up to me w- waiting in line at the bank and just whisper, I am Zedek, and you're going to get a laugh out of me. <laughs> this is a good line for a cliffhanger. You're going to go to commercial break. All it's going to cost you is your heads. That's not bad, right? Mm-hmm. As we know, having watched the gruesome ending of the last episode where the Autobots ripped their heads off and <laughs> set them on the ground, the Decepticons don't know that that's necessarily what's going to happen. It's just like, I'm going to cut your heads off. But <laughs> so I, I, I feel like a little twinge, like an echo of some of the tension that I felt in some past Transformers episodes when we were sent to commercial break. Not quite as much intensity, <laughs> but... You know, it's there and th- th- there's something that feels warm about it. So let me hold on to that feeling just for an extra, you know, two and a half, three minutes while we look at things to spend money on.
1: <laughs> well, so 1988 is just around the corner. And as we said last episode, there's a real changing of the guard in the toy aisle and on after school TV. One of the new properties to debut in 1988 was a new toy line from Hasbro called Cops. With a period between each letter standing for Central Organization of Police Specialists. <laughs> which got its own cartoon as well from Deke.
3: If we're gonna stop the crooks, that cop
2: gotta know who they are.
3: That's the rock rusher. No jail can hold them. And here's Berserko, a dangerous street punk. Meanwhile, at the crooks hideout,
2: look out for long arm. He's a tough street cop. Sergeant Mace, the SWAT team leader, and bulletproofs a federal agent. Give up, you crooks. You're surrounded by the cops.
3: Ah! Cops and crooks go separately with cast. So I,
0: I remember this toy line coming out. I remember the comic, and I remember the – I certainly remember the cartoon intro because that's a great intro. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, okay, it's basically like the same premise as G.I. Joe, but with police and like an Al Capone vibe. And, and if it, you would have told in me. In the future. In the future, right? Yes. If you had told me, like, it's a cartoon about Elliot Ness and, and the Untouchables, I'd be like, oh, whatever. But it's in the future. <laughs> there's robot dogs <laughs> and the villains all have superpowers. One of them has a gun in his chest that his entire chest is a gun. And, you know, now it's like every gland in my body is going off. Right. <laughs> but, so I, I didn't have any of the toys, but I certainly watched the show and I thought it was a neat premise. But what I did not remember, Hoover, was that they all had like cap guns. Like you could mm-hmm. put those paper rolls of caps. For those who did not grow up in the 80s, Hoover, what are caps?
1: <laughs> well, it's this roll of paper. Like imagine a roll of scotch tape, but instead of tape, it's paper with little round circles on the paper. Which have gunpowder or something gun along powder. those lines. <laughs>
0: yes. It was a tiny, tiny piece of explosives on a piece of paper. You play with them, kids.
1: <laughs> they still exist. You can still find them occasionally at like stores that sell rack toys, like the grocery store. Like Occasionally, wow. you'll still run across caps. But, wow. but back then, they were everywhere.
0: They were, Yeah. And I forgot that they were in the toy. I mean, I remember Thunder Punch man had caps too. And that was mm-hmm. like the whole gimmick was you throw his punch and you hear a cap blast. But this is like all their guns have caps. And yeah, it just looks so bananas to see that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, did you have any of these toys?
1: No, and it's crazy that I didn't because I loved the show. Mm. I would race home after school and watch the show. G.I. Joe and Transformers was done. Mm -hmm. And now there was this show for me to watch. And I watched it every day. I had exactly zero of the toys. Now, Mm -hmm. why is that? Well, the toys all had a certain aesthetic to them. They were all designed by an artist named Bart Sears, who Mm -hmm. you and I are very familiar with now. Yeah. But the animation by Deke kind of went off the designs just enough Mm. that the toys didn't really look a lot like the show. Yeah. So that was just enough for me to not want the toys, because I was there for the show. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the toys and compare it to what you're seeing on screen, and it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. So I never got a single cop toy. I was... You know, on to other things by 1988, I was really into Robotech at the time, so... Mm. so Yep, cops... which is much
0: more, you know, straight sci-fi than Cops was.
1: Mm-hmm. Cops certainly had my interest. I watched it literally every day. I remember, like, getting off the bus, and like, five <laughs> minutes after I got home, Cops would be coming on. <laughs> So, never had a single one of the toys. Now, they were interesting toys, too, because they were, like, G.I. Joe construction, but, like, Mm -hmm. a good five inches tall.
0: And they weren't all interchangeable parts. That was another thing that was really unique about it. Like, Mm -hmm. you couldn't, like, you couldn't look at Buttons McBoom Boom and say, like, oh, this is the part of him that goes on Rock Crusher. Yeah. I
1: mean, there may have been a couple interchangeable parts, but for the most part, they were all original designs. Sort yeah. of G.I. Joe articulation, but bigger, so they looked neater, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. still wasn't enough to get me to buy any.
0: <laughs> Probably White didn't last more than one season. <laughs> yeah.
1: It really was like only a one- or two-year toy, and there were 65 full episodes of it, so they could get into syndication, so...
0: So, yeah, this is, I mean, not to belabor this commercial break, but, like, another thing I love about Cops is all of the names of the characters, like, Misdemeanor. Oh, my gosh, it's mm-hmm. so good. You know, like, Buttons McBoom Boom, Dr. Bad Vibes. And I, I don't know how many people listening to this podcast have ever, like, designed an entire cast of characters for a themed project, but I've had that privilege. I was paid to create this universe called Captain Seriously and the Supermaster Sentinels for uh seriously chelsea in michigan and i i remember trying to summon that kind of joyfulness when i was coming <laughs> up with all these characters like you know professor von snotbottom and uh oh, i forget some of the other characters names now oh Madeleine and monstark and et cetera, et cetera. but i was trying to think of like that kind of like i i misdemeanor is such a great name for a villain uh-huh. in a cop show right yeah long arms one of the heroes right oh it's so good
1: yeah it's like they took the gi joe naming conventions and then turned it up to 11 or maybe even 12
0: they were were like like oh hey we got flint dilly here we got jack webb over there let's smoosh (laughs) them into making uh, a toy line for children because the other thing that like we both love is they started doing like the they didn't do psa's but like they did an episode where there was like a drug pusher in the cops world and like big boss was like cr- you know crooks don't do drugs like okay there we go <laughs> there's one line that even the crooks won't cross is yep. that was back when we were you know early in the war on drugs etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh we, we have to say, "Are we going to buy it or not?" Yeah, I buy buying them all. Thank you. I've, I've got all the toys, I've got all the vehicles. I'm going to maybe not play with the caps. I don't want to scare my cats. but although I miss that smell, I, I still know what that smell is, but
3: Wow, that's wild.
0: Okay, so cops, are you, you're getting some too, right? We'll play cops. Yeah
1: later. I'm, I gotta make make good on the the error I made back in the day by not getting any. <laughs> It's time to get everyone that's on the show. Well, back then there'd been a long line of R-rated movies that somehow got turned into kids cartoons, such as Rambo, and in 1988 that would be joined by Robocop, which got its own toy line as well.
3: Robocop! His orders? Get the evil vandals! Now! Headhunter, Nitro, and the dangerous ED-260! RoboCop. Armed with rapid repeat cat firing. He's
0: unstoppable.
3: With Ultra Police, Ace Jackson, and Birdman Barnes, the Vandals cannot escape. They're out there, but not for long. RoboCop and the Ultra Police, each sold separately.
0: And did everybody hear that? Did you hear that? There's more caps. <laughs> you found two <laughs> toys. Did you do this on purpose? No. It's like... <laughs> I just love that like they're even touting it as a play feature. Like RoboCop, you can fire those caps off super fast. Bah, 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 bah. That, that's how you know you're fighting. You know, it is bananas to me that this toy line exists at all. Now, some people might not say so, but man, go back and watch the first Robocop movie. <laughs> I was 11 when I think I think it was eleven when I saw it. Maybe twelve. And the boardroom scene with the Ed 209 when it just like turns that guy into meatloaf right on camera. I was like, I'm out. (laughs) Like, I thought this was going to be like an action adventure movie. I did not know it was going to be the gruesome bloody murder movie. And don't even get me started on that bit of the end where the guy falls into the toxic waste. Right? So it's like, yeah, it's for kids. (laughs) We got caps and people getting horribly mutated into slush monsters that get splattered by trucks. What? (laughs) I hope I don't come off as too judgmental about this. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm just surprised that it is. However. I can't get past the fact that RoboCop's design totally has like this really cool super future Batman aesthetic that you can't deny, right? He looks terrific. (laughs) So, and the Ed 209 is a cool looking vehicle. If I can shake off the memory of that poor businessman getting turned into like (laughs) gross lunch meat by his guns. So, oh, do I want RoboCop toys? I don't know. (sighs) I, I noticed that there's no Clarence Bodiger action figure that's interesting but and, and Robocop's got two friends I've never heard of before, <laughs> so I guess i'll get the I'll get the Ed 209 nine on the Robocop and i'll just I'll pretend like they like got past their differences and became friends
1: <laughs> well, also jumping into toy stores in nineteen eighty eight were toys from Star Trek the Next Generation a new syndicated series that started in nineteen eighty seven
2: Mmm. is Captain. You have just entered a new dimension of play. Star Trek: The Next Generation action figures, Phaser, Space Sets and Enterprise. Their missions to boldly go where no one has gone before. Go with them. Star Trek, the next generation, a world of action and adventure now in your galaxy from Galoob.
0: And I mean, you have to get the Ferengi with real whipping action. Because when I think <laughs> of Ferengi, I always think of whip. What was that all about? Was, was there an early episode where Ferengis were whipping people? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't remember these toys at all, Hoover. And I'm really surprised at how good they look, given that they came out in 1988.
1: So. Yeah, they didn't stick around long. They were, like, three inches, so they were smaller than G.I. Joe. Huh. But there was, like, one line of them, and they mm. just didn't catch on, probably because it took the show itself a little while to catch on. Eventually, mm. Playmates would pick up the license and and do, like, a good 4,200 Star Trek Next Generation action figures. <laughs> but But this was Galoob back in the first year. Oh,
0: wow, Galoob. Now you were always a Star Trek fan, right?
1: It took me a while. It it probably took me until like four or five seasons in for Next Generation.
0: Wow, really? And then
1: yeah. Then once Next Generation caught on with me, I went back to explore the original one. It was like wow. Eh. At first, at first, the original Star Trek like didn't hook me because everything just looked so dated in it. But mm. eventually eventually i came to like basically any star trek i watched
0: wow that that is surprising to me cuz i always thought of the two of us you were the bigger star trek fan but it's
1: probably the case but it, it it wasn't a instant sell for me it took me a while to warm up to it
0: so i remember when tng was being announced and like like again wsmh tv 66 was like coming this fall and i was like oh my gosh a new star trek that's incredible i, I was really excited and i remember even like having the thought and I probably said this out loud, much to my dismay, when all of my brothers and sisters said, please stop talking. <laughs> I, I I was like, what an age we get to experience a brand new Star Trek that we've never seen before, <laughs> right? Like, this has never happened to us. You know, our parents got the original. We're getting our own, you know? I, I <laughs> it, it had that energy behind it. Because when I was a kid, I actually watched the original Star Trek because it was one of those, like this, like Twilight Zone, Star Trek, and some other old 60s sci-fi shows would play late at night on the uhf station so Mm -hmm. i kind of grew up with captain kirk and spock and mccoy so i was i wouldn't call myself a big fan i didn't like you know wear t-shirts or anything i don't even know if they existed in Mm -hmm. you know 83 84 but i watched you know the new movies i watched wrath of khan motion picture had the motion picture on laser disc and all that so I was really excited about this when it came out. And then, like, it, it took about five seasons before I kind of fell off. I think it was around mm. the time DS9 came out where I was like, I've had enough Star Trek now. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> and that's so that was probably about the time when you were ramping into it. Yeah. So I'm going to get Riker because I think he's awesome. He plays the trombone and he kisses all the girls. And I played trombone in, in, in junior high. And I remember thinking, like, well, if he can kiss all the girls playing trombone, then maybe I can <laughs> and maybe i'll get uh jordy i like jordy and i like Riker. who are you gonna get
1: well, i'm gonna get the because he has real whipping
0: action. <laughs> <laughs> oh good we all bought something we should feel proud of ourselves <laughs> <laughs> all right you ready to get back to it
1: <laughs> well as we return to the show we see an establishing shot of a metal dome with lots of spider-leggy types of tubes emerging from the dome and into the surrounding ground. Everything is metal here. Presumably we're underground, where the Hive live in a sprawling city. And it looks very 70 sci-fi paperback cover. But it mm. also looks like something else, which you pointed out very accurately.
0: Yeah, like the moment I saw it, it's like, this. Is, again, this is a miniseries that I don't have a lot of familiarity with. I've watched it maybe twice in my life. And so now I'm watching it carefully. And the moment I saw this base, I was like, that's that's the Fright Zone from Filmation's filmation Shira." <laughs> I mean, it's like a smoother version. It's not as junky or as polluted looking, but it's basically the same structure, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they really copied those legs, I would have to say, <laughs> because those spidery legs coming out, I have no idea what purpose they would serve. And it just uh-uh. looks like it was copied.
0: Yeah, it almost does. Yeah, like you hold them up side by side. It's like, oh, okay. It's like it's like you just did like a low resolution version of Hordax Fright Zone.
1: Yeah, it's like the Walmart Great Value version. Of Fright zone. <laughs> it's a great comparison. It's like, I want to get the Fright Zone. We have Fright Zone at home, and then <laughs> Fright, that's zone the the Fright Zone at zone home. Have, yeah. <laughs> well, we hit inside this structure where we see Zarek and four other hive members sit in chairs addressing the Decepticons. But these humanoids in the shot are drawn the same height as the Decepticons. What do we say, Jersey, when Acom makes an error like this?
0: Acom gonna Acom?
1: That's right. But when we get a better look at the hive, we see only two of these humanoids are green-skinned, human-looking people. The rest are already in robotic bodies. In fact, they reused the design of Arbliss and Cranix from the movie. So I don't know if they were rushed and couldn't wait for more designs or what, but it does jibe with what Gort told us about the Hive in Part 1. He said the Hive developed their mental powers and their bodies became useless. So I guess once their bodies are useless, they use robotic exosuits to carry on? And it seems all but two of them have gotten to that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're seeing, (laughs) we're seeing the like four of them sitting in chairs, and the chairs are not even remotely lined up. It looks like they just kind of like pulled in office chairs and just like set them up anywhere in the room. (laughs) The way they're arranged, it doesn't look great. But yeah, it's just it's so weird and it's unexplained why. Yeah, there's like this kind of heavy set guy with a like a Wilford Brimley mustache, and then you got Zarek who's like super ripped, and then you got these two you know Lithonians sitting in chairs. So, I don't get it.
1: Well, Zarek spells out his idea, which he's stealing from Gort.
2: You get to defeat the Autobots, and we get new bodies in the form of robotic exosuits made from your heads. We don't make deals with organic creatures. You have no choice.
1: Claws, drills, maces, and any number of metallic machinery comes out of the wall, headed towards the Decepticons. They're all snatched and prodded and attacked.
0: Mm, Boy, that sounds really intense, what you described, Hoover. (laughs) And when you look at it on screen, you almost have to imagine a bunch of Hanna-Barbera clanging and booming sound effects. Maybe even a sproying in there someplace because it's just (laughs) more of these, you know, telescoping claw arms. And one of them has like a hammer hand. Like there's one that's like a needle, but like it just looks like it's going bonk, bonk, bonk on all the Decepticon's heads. You know, it's it's just it the the drama and the intensity of what is playing out here is absolutely invisible.
1: (laughs) I mean, all they would have to do is grab the little sticks that these weapons are attached to
0: and rip them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It would be if somebody came in with a hammer on the end of a yardstick and was like hit you with it. Like, I gotcha. Uh, (laughs) I I hit you on the head. But what happens instead, Hoover?
1: (laughs) Well, somehow this is overwhelming to the Decepticons, and an exasperated Scourge chokes out. All right.
3: All right, we'll deal.
1: Now, isn't it strange that Scourge seems to be the one speaking for the group in so much of this episode? Well, I'm headcanoning that Cyclonus has told Scourge that with the sweeps gone, now is the time to step up his game and prove your worth to Galvatron. Cyclonus is just so over everything at this stage (laughs) like have you ever had someone train you at a job and they're like okay show me what you've learned here and then they step back and let you do it all and they just (laughs) observe how you're doing and watching how you're handling it all that feels like this so why would Cyclonus do this granted I'm reading into this a lot but to me it just feels like he's done he's done with all of it Galvatron showed some signs of sanity, and then all these new Decepticons showed up and roped him into a plan. My (laughs) headcanon, anyway. And suddenly it was back to getting their butts kicked by Autobots real quick. So I feel like Cyclonus is just trying to set up Scourge to take his place, seeing if he has it in him, because he's too honorable for just abandoning his job. (laughs) He's going to set Scourge up to take his place... And then just peace out somewhere where every day isn't a friggin' struggle. (laughs) Yes, even away from Galvatron, that's how done he is. But let's see if the Hive's offer changes his mind any. He feels the need to intervene here. You know how in driver's ed cars there's sometimes a brake pedal on the passenger (laughs) side? So that the instructor can overrule you in an emergency? (laughs) Yeah. This is one such moment. He says to Zarek,
3: just one thing. You can only have the heads of the animals. <laughs> Still you! You'll do as I say or you'll die!
1: So Cyclonus has to grab the wheel here because he's not letting any green men in his head. Scourge was doing a so-so job, but he's not going to let himself get beheaded. So Zarek replies
2: and what will you five offer us our weapons you can modify their measure with the heads a hive operator in a powerful weapon not such a bad idea well enough bargaining remove your heads
1: Zarek gestures at the animal decepticons the two horror triple changers and the three beasts and they remove their heads from their shoulders, which you wouldn't think could be done so spontaneously without (laughs) tools, but apparently it can be done. (laughs) I feel like with the Autobots at least, Spike had to first make some modifications, but apparently Decepticon heads just come right off. But at exactly 10 minutes in, there's another animation error, because why, Jersey? ACOM GOTTA (laughs) ACOM! They drew Skullcruncher on the side of the guys not removing their heads, and they drew Trigger Happy with his head removed. (laughs) Well, I suppose you could say that this is not a mistake, and Skullcruncher just doesn't listen and just stares off into space. (laughs) And Trigger Happy was just replaying someone tripping in the cafeteria on a loop in his mind when Cyclonus said the hive could only have the heads of the animals, so he's just like, Well, that guy said remove my head, so I did. (laughs) The five Decepticons without beast modes place their guns on the ground As Zarek puts his plan into action We cut back to Prime on Cybertron Where he finds himself transported into Vector Sigma He sees the one he's here to see Alpha Trion
3: I've been expecting you Optimus Then you know why I've come Nebulos. That which you seek is there. Nebulos? But how did Brainstorm and the others? Plasma energy. The chamber was opened momentarily, and a bolt of plasma energy struck their ship, sending them millions of miles into space. One bolt did all that? It is raw energy. It seeks out any entity that transforms matter into energy and overloads them totally. Only organic life is unaffected. But hear me, Prime. A second golden age of Cybertron is almost at hand. But whether this comes to pass depends on the merging of an Autobot's life with that of a human being. How do you know this Alpha Trion? Vector Sigma itself! It was Vector Sigma who arranged for Galvatron to learn of the Key's existence. Alpha That makes no sense! Do not question Vector Sigma's motives! The parameters of its thought matrix are greater than you can imagine! A final warning, Prime! Whatever happens, the key to the plasma energy chamber must not be destroyed. Vector Sigma commands it!
1: And with that, Prime is shunted out of Vector Sigma and reappears in the room with Magnus.
3: Did you get your questions answered? Yes. And every answer led to a bigger question.
1: But something's happening on Nebulos. So Jersey are you starting to remember what the titular rebirth is of yet, uh,
0: like the the rebirth of sort of a new species of Transformers. Like Transformers are going to have like another like like a evolutionary step through this this merging of robots and peoples. Is that what oh, he's that getting at?
1: Seems to be part of it.
0: Yeah. And then a golden age of Cybertron, which is like, I thought we ha- I thought we were there right after the movie, but <laughs> I guess it could get even more golden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a golden <their> age.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually really dig this scene a lot. Uh, I love, again, last episode I started talking about how I'm not against the idea of Optimus becoming more mystical. And that feels more like what they did in shows like Transformers Prime, where he's both, you know heroic John Wayne leader, but he's also got like this streak of Gandalf inside of him somehow. Mm -hmm. And I especially love, now I'm going to give ACOM a really serious high five. I love the imagery in this whole vision sequence.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, it's really simple, but there's a chasm between prime and alpha Trion where they can like stand at the end of their little like ledge and talk to each other. But there's, that chasm that Prime cannot cross and that's almost Mm -hmm. like that's almost too smart for for this animation
0: (laughs) it tells a lot with it with just an image right Mm -hmm. and that's what I love about it you got like this cool trippy you know, 70s paperback imagery in the background that's always moving behind him. It's not animated, but it's like just sort of scrolling. And yeah, there's this chasm to imply that Optimus can't be one with Vector Sigma the way Alpha Trion is. He can't mm-hmm. go all the way. There's no hugging. Sorry, it's nice to see Alpha Trion, but you know, I got to stand over here, you got to stand over there. Optimus is still rooted in this world, our world. Mm-hmm. And Alpha Trion is, is speaking from the beyond, right? Yeah. The So yeah, it's, it's, it's not a complex image, but it is very it's very good visual storytelling that mm-hmm. is unnecessary. Like, it, it, it's almost too good for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was really impressed with this scene.
1: Well, we cut back to the hive where the other humanoid member reports in.
3: The Decepticon modifications are complete, Lord Zarek. Excellent. Excellent
2: proceed to bond with them
1: bonding exercises huh so i'm guessing a lot of trust falls are going to take place and maybe they're comparing favorite movies <laughs> trigger happy doesn't catch his nebulon partner because he was too busy thinking of the guy tripping in the cafeteria again
0: <laughs> i like that that's your that's your whole cat around trigger happy <laughs> <laughs> just like just like uh, cliff jumper can't see anything he's mr magoo <laughs> trigger happy that one time somebody fell down of the cafeteria and that was his golden moment it was like the, the, his his life crested at that point <laughs> everything has been not as good since that day
1: <laughs> but then zarek
2: adds i remain to work on a new plan one which involves our entire
1: city Hmm, I wonder what that could be. (laughs) Well, we cut back to Cybertron, where Prime is getting into another orange shuttle. Magnus is not liking this game plan.
3: You can't be leaving. I have no choice. The key is on Nebulos. Until I return, I'm leaving
1: you in command. I know you won't let me down. Uh, Prime, things didn't go so hot last time you did this. <laughs> Isn't there anyone else around? Someone more competent like Skylinks or a toaster, maybe?
0: Oh, now you're being mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, back on Nebulos, the members of the Hive prepare to put on their new exosuits. But Jersey, what does ACOM do? ACOM, gonna ACOM. <laughs> <laughs> ACOM, gonna ACOM. So in the lineup of these nine new exosuits at 12 minutes and 38 seconds in, they accidentally draw Misfire, Trigger, (laughs) Happy, and Slug Slinger as exosuits. Whoops.
0: (laughs) It's five o'clock, time to go home.
1: (laughs) So the Hive crawl into the newly created exosuits and get a hang of how to move within them. Cyclonus's gun walks up to him.
3: The boys are coming, nice stick! I hope you like busted heads! Yeah! I like busting Autobot headmasters
1: better. Well, Nightstick nice stick is voiced by Peter Cullen. I think we know who that guy is. Hmm. And then an exosuit walks up to misfire. I live only to destroy our mutual enemies. <laughs>
3: I took the name Aimless, such a better.
1: Aimless is voiced by Milt Jammin, who we've heard is Blastoff, Stylo, and Grax. Hmm. A Hive member transforms into a gun and lands in Slugslinger's hands.
3: Now you can call me Calibers, because I never missed a shot in my life. But you've never taken a shot in your life. See, when I lie to you?
1: Ah, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Comedic gold. Yeah.
0: <laughs> David Wise is showing what era he came out of. Right, <laughs> this is definitely a joke from the golden age of television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Caliburst is voiced by Johnny Hamer, whom we've heard as Vortex, Swindle, and Highbrow. Another hive member transforms into a gun and lands in Trigger Happy's hands.
3: Call me Blowpipe, cause I want to blow those rebels away. <laughs>
1: Blue Pipe is voiced by John Machida, voice of Blur and Punch, Counterpunch. Hmm. But Scourge has had enough of the showboating. All right, knock it off! And what of my
2: weapon? It's me, I'm fracas And if you think Blue Pipe was bad, I'm worse!
1: And you're louder! fracas is Neil Ross in yet another role. And then the Beast Decepticons meet their new partners.
3: I am
2: Scourge!
1: Basma is voiced by Tony St. James, who we've heard is Brawl, Cutthroat, and Blot, and he's the head of Vapeface, while Krunk is voiced by Chris Lada, aka Starscream, yay, and is the <laughs> head of Snapdragon. Another Hive member walks up to Mindwipe and complains,
2: oh, Me, a top Hive scientist paired with a mangy night scavenger like you!
3: The powers of darkness are a more powerful weapon than all
2: the toys your science can muster. Now, unite with me.
1: Oh,
2: yes, master.
1: (laughs) This is Vorath becoming the head of Mindwipe, and Vorath is voiced by Charlie Adler, whom we know as Silverbolt and Trigger Happy.
0: And, and this is just so good, Hoover. This is, uh, I love, you're merging Dracula with a scientist, which has, like, a whole, like, it starts out with a sort of Count Dracula versus Van Helsing kind of thing. Dr. Van Helsing, right? The arch nemesis. So now they got to work together. That, that's automatically you're creating great sparks. But then, he, like, he hypnotizes it right away. So then it becomes, like, this weird thing where it's, like, both Van Helsing and Renfield all in one exchange, right? And it's, like, just an explosion like 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 a, a fruit gusher of potential <laughs> is in that moment right it's like i can imagine 25 stories already with this <laughs> and we're not gonna get it are we <laughs> well
1: maybe someday you'll get to write your mind wiping 4 f miniseries
0: oh my gosh and I, I just love the performance of that character they, they, they're just doing such a good job of channeling bella lugosi while still making him sound distinct oh man
1: Well, another Hive member stands in front of Skullcruncher, who accidentally gets colored like weird wolves, but this is Skullcruncher. Why does this happen, Jersey?
0: (laughs) Because Acom got an I am
3: to be bonded to that creature? This project was a bad investment.
1: (laughs) Now this is Grax, who was the other humanoid Hive member, talking to Zarek a few times, voiced by Milt Jammin, voice of Blastoff. Too bad Skullcruncher doesn't reply because he's supposed to be voiced by Chris Latta, and we have yet to hear him talk. Huh. Throughout all this, a lot of the nebulans are drawn wrong, as other nebulans. So don't bother memorizing what the nebulans look like or what the color of their exosuits are or any of that, because odds are Acom got it wrong. Why, Jersey?
0: Acom, gonna, Acom. <laughs>
1: So we don't hear from Weird Wolf about bonding with Monzo, who is portrayed by Neil Ross, who is quickly becoming the new Frank Welker, grabbing up characters left and right. And with that, Cyclonus announces that it's time to go get some revenge on those Autobots. It seems like this union has perked him up just a little bit, and he's eager to give this new team up a try. We transition to the Autobots, who are somehow caravanning back to the caves with the captured Decepticon ship on their vehicle motor roofs. When suddenly Brainstorm looks up and sees Cerebros at the top of a hill, he falls and tumbles down to the Autobots below. Now with all these names, 11 new Hive characters this episode, and something like 37 new characters last time, you're probably like, okay, who was Cerebros again?
0: (laughs) Fair, yeah.
1: He was the Autobot who wanted nothing to do with war who stormed off last episode. So he walked off, we didn't see where he went, now he's back. Where's he been? Spike and the others run up to him.
3: Cerebros, I found a
1: city. But that's all he says before he passes out. The Autobots take him to the caves and tend to him, but he remains unconscious.
2: What was that city he mentioned? Maybe he found the lost city of the Hive, where they lived before they developed their mental powers and moved underground.
0: So at this point, and thank you for reminding me what happened with, with Cerebros, because when I saw this scene, I was like, what the heck, where, where was he, right? <laughs> but yeah, you're right, he walked off. I don't want to fight anymore. And then he just like, he pouts out of the room, but you don't get a sense that he went on any kind of quest. No. But apparently he did. And then between that and then this whole little bit of business here where it's like, well, it might be this famous place that we never mentioned until now. This is feeling <laughs> like a clip show. This feels mm. like it. this is the best of the original mini series, The Rebirth. This is Rebirths Parts 1 through 15 condensed down to three episodes, <laughs> right?
1: Well, Hot Rod and Cup are standing guard outside of the caves when Hot Rod announces that they have company. The Decepticons land as Cyclonus declares,
3: Autobots, prepare to die!
1: And we arrive at our second commercial break. <sighs>
0: so ready to go spend yeah yeah i'm ready to go spend some money because i think i got a feeling we're going to see a bunch of transformers shooting at each other across the chasm in a second (laughs) and i don't know what any of these people are anymore i've even forgotten (laughs) who the season three characters are because i'm just being just you know they're just just pouring them on me like you like transformers do you it's like that scene of the simpsons with homers in hell with the donuts (laughs) <laughs> you know, so yeah, I uh, I'm ready to shake it off and go think about other toys for a little bit. Hoover, take me take me shopping.
1: <laughs> so with GI Joe and Transformers out for five years and three years respectively, they were considered past their prime by some of their competitors, as toy lines rarely lasted longer than that. So designers were thinking way outside the box and coming up with crazy concepts, such as Mattel's Food Fighters anthropomorphic food items that come to life and fight.
0: No, toys do not walk and talk, <laughs> Hoover.
3: <laughs> Yo, Burger King, you want this? You'll never cut the mustard, mean winner.
2: <laughs> food fight! Food winters! Your history private pizza, pow! And your lunch. Come back, on toys like
3: this food again mom food fighters figures in combat garden each sold separately toys do not walk and talk
0: <laughs> don't forget they just said it you just heard him say it toys do not walk and talk so don't get your hopes up kids <laughs> it's a very static talking hot dog i actually have some of the food fighters now i think that they're <laughs> terrific i love the concept i think it's kind of bizarre that like they play into like some old 60s stereotypes of soldiers in the commercial but that's who was writing the the copy for this but yeah did you did you ever get any of these guys
1: no i wasn't in sort like anything cartoony like this that was mm. a, absurd i uh, no it wasn't my <laughs> wasn't my bag it, it's a
0: piece of pizza with a gun it, it it actually it feels like really kind of prescient like i feel like this is something that would really work with gen z right like the, the data is generation the the post tiktok generation where everything is nonsense and reaction videos it's like oh look it's a piece of pizza with a gun Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I have more of a tolerance for cute than you. Yeah. And, and these are really silly and cute. So and they, they ride around and what's their vehicle? It's, a, it's in a carton of eggs with wheels on it. Oh man. It just keeps going. Just pun after pun after pun. So yeah, I'll, I'll take them all. I don't remember if I saw any actual like fried egg characters, but if there's not, I'm going to start my own, <laughs> start designing my own food fighters in my, in my sketchbook.
1: Uh Oh, <laughs> it's time for a food fighters rebirth
0: <laughs> are you listening idw i know you lost all those licenses there's new <laughs> ones
1: to be had we could recreate the past as gi joe and transformers was dying in the past mattel came up with food fighters and now as idw is losing the license to gi joe yeah. and transformers they could Reclaim the Foo Fighter Slices.
0: And we'll make it like like the, this really deep and intricate backstory between the main villain and the main hero. Like they used mm-hmm. to be brothers, they used to be best friends. There's all this political intrigue between the different sausages and, and, and biscuits and everything. Yeah. You gotta you gotta make it like way HBO. There we go. We did it. <laughs> oh my gosh, look what just showed up. It's my Eisner. My Eisner trophy is here, Hoover.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and they haven't even seen the food kissing yet. <laughs> you get romance. the extra Eisner for that.
0: <laughs> I get double Eisners. We were just going to give you one, but we're giving you an extra one because you had that great makeout scene with the Food Fighters. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they're so heavy. Okay, so I bought all the Food Fighters, and you didn't.
1: I didn't buy any of them. The only cute <laughs> I like has long black hair and cat glasses. <laughs> the Baroness.
3: Oh,
1: so when you think outside the box you can come away with a winner that revolutionizes the toy industry which food fighters did not <laughs> or you can wind up ignored and forgotten which i think is what happened to nosy bears oh my gosh
2: nosy bears nosy bears
0: bears hoover go back and listen to that song again <laughs> they have a nose for fun that voice that voice i mean it, it almost feels like i never believed in the you know subliminal messaging in music when i was a kid <laughs> like that that whole moral panic that happened but i think if you listen that the tone of that voice is so piercing that it, it must be an encoded message <laughs> of, of some kind of you know unnatural nature <laughs> <laughs>
2: Nosy
3: bears, nosy bears. I give him a square be Nosey
2: bears, nosey bears. And what bears me. have a nose for fun. They, they love to the fun with
3: me. Nosy bears, nosy bears. They have a
2: nose yeah, for mom, bears. They me. so separately, nosy bears.
0: Man, what a gimmicky gimmick. I mean, it's just like it's almost like a, a a gimmick tesseract. It it moves in directions that we can't even perceive. <laughs> cause it's so gimmicky.
1: Well, for people who are only listening, who haven't had the benefit of watching <laughs> the Nosy Bears commercial, explain what these things are.
0: So it's it's a teddy bear. They look kind of like Care Bears, or kind of vaguely like a mix between Care Bears and puffalumps. Lumps. But they have a big nose. Okay, was it glow or something? not quite it's more like imagine it is a snow globe and there's a there's a some kind of bladder inside of the bear that when you squeeze it it pumps air into the nose and the different bears noses all have different themes they do different things like one of them like has a little bag of popcorn and you make the popcorn fly out of the popcorn bag when you squeeze its belly and make the air go into the nose another one has like a balloon that blows up inside of the little plastic bubble nose another one has like like race cars that go around a racetrack (laughs) in a circle inside of its nose so it's taking the Care Bear gimmick of each one has like a different symbol, but it's turning into like an interactive thing that's on their nose <laughs> instead of their belly. their belly.
1: <laughs> instead of their belly, so you could almost hear the brainstorming session in the office. Yeah. So, so these are yeah. just Care Bears, then? No, they don't have something on their, their. belly. It's in their nose. <laughs>
0: it's in their nose. They have a nose for fun. Well, how much fun? About two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I, I just trying to like, like I've made the case a zillion times about how limitations breed creativity. And one of the great things about this period that we talk about, the 80s cartoons is like there's just all this wild brainstorming, trying to make an interesting narrative around a simple play feature like Sky Commanders is a zip line. Boom. you Put it on the line. It moves. And how do you make a story out of that? I feel like nosy bears is like expert level. It's like, Oh, you think you're good at coming up with really good narrative around silly play features. Try to figure out how these guys all work together and, and, and have adventures. You know, it's like race car nose, use your race car nose. Watch this. It goes around in a (laughs) circle. Balloon nose. Well, I mean, they would make him come out of the nose, right? Balloon nose would make his nose get all big and they could, like, grab onto him and go for a ride. <laughs> Race car nose, make cars jump out and they could jump in the cars and right away. I don't know. But, I mean, because you have the Care Bear stare for crying out loud.
1: <laughs> Strangely, there was no Nosy Bears cartoon or a comic book where we could base our canon on.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, it, it defies you to come up with a really interesting story. Because <laughs> when you get that gimmicky, it's like, well, what are you going to do now? So. Whoo, Hoover. I don't even know if I want to get these guys ironically. (laughs) Have you seen my nosy bear? (laughs) Summon Paul F. Topkins. (laughs) Gosh. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a nosy bear. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm going to save it as like sort of like a, a booby prize for mm-hmm. like a friend that I really want to give a hard time to. It's like, oh, I got you something. It's a nosy bear. Oh, I don't like it. I know. It'd be like a white elephant gift kind of thing. There we go.
1: Well, then they could be the only one alive in 2022 who has a nosy bear.
3: That's
1: right. It makes me want to um, search eBay to see if any of these actually survived.
0: Yeah oh i'm sure there's there's a good number i bet you can find one in the box so i mean if you can find chiggles and chubbles (laughs) which they're out there you know i bet you can get nosy bear so whoo hoover that that was a heck of a find i remembered at the moment i heard the song and uh yeah i I don't i I don't remember ever seeing one in in real life (sighs) but i got one now to give away as a white elephant gift so
1: well we're not done yet (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Challenged to survive past its expiration date G.I. Joe found itself thinking outside the box as well With very mixed success Sergeant Slaughter? That was pretty much a win Cobra Law? Didn't really work Though I loved it But what about Super Trooper? Nobody
3: needs I. Joe. I Joe. Super Trooper. Introducing the Ultimate Warrior the G.I. Joe Super Trooper. There's only one way to get him. Send four Super Trooper certificates and a $1 handling charge. Ah! See details on specially marked packages for your Super Trooper, ah! the ultimate warrior. Nobody beats G.I. Joe.
0: Yeah, the implications of this character are pretty wild, right? It's like, did you do some kind of genetic modification? What are you doing to make this guy a super trooper? Is he got some kind of weird like serum, like Steve Rogers going on? Uh, why doesn't he have a name? <laughs> <laughs> was he was he like bred in a lab? And then like in the commercial, I love that he turns the camera just like this. Ah! <laughs> like, he's <laughs> he's like doing like a victory thing, but he's clearly like trying to channel the ultimate warrior, the way he does like the scream at the kids.
1: And it's a live-action commercial, by the way.
0: That's true. It, that's important. That it's a live-action guy beating up a whole bunch of Iron Grenadiers. And I got to say, as as a general rule, I didn't enjoy it when they made my toy commercials live-action. Like mm-hmm. in like around 85, 86, I started doing the live-action He-Man commercials. And I was like, eh, it's fine. I'd rather see the toys or an animated version. But with the G.I. Joe ones, there was something really kind of cool about seeing... Iron Grenadiers or Cobra Vipers in real life. Right? Yeah, I
1: mean, this was ages before cosplay was a major thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to see a nice looking representation of like a Cobra character on screen in a pretty darn accurate outfit, that part was awesome. Yes, yes.
0: But weird, nameless dude in a silver vest and with a silver shield <laughs> screaming at me. <laughs>
1: A little I, bit
0: I, less awesome. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, like, Sergeant Slaughter had something to hook into, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's like he's so patriotic that his first words were Semper Fi. Right? It said that on the file card. You know, but this guy, it's like, what's his deal? He's super. Well, how super? He's, he's, got, a, he's got a silver vest on. <laughs> Wait minute, so it's like a muscly David Bowie? Is that what you're trying to sell me on? But, yeah, I, I never got into the super soldier. I don't even think I ever owned him. Did you?
1: No, I never had him. Mm -mm.
0: (laughs) So, oh man, it's weird to say no to a G.I. Joe toy, Hoover. It's super strange. I I feel a lot of conflict in this. Mm -hmm. Oh, does it make me less of a fan? Am I less of a fan now?
1: (laughs) Well, I imagine that Hasbro wanted this guy hyped up. But did he ever appear in the G.I. Joe comic book? I don't think so. I oh think, my gosh, no. I think Larry Hama looked at it and said, hmm, pass. <laughs> he even put Sergeant Slaughter in the comic. Yeah, Slaughter was in there for one whole issue. But I think, I think Super Trooper only showed up in an issue of G.I. Joe European Missions, which reprinted Action wow. Force Monthly. So... I don't think he really got any love in in the USA.
0: Well, yeah, there there is just it, it. Like I said, it implies like a lot of really dark ideas that I'm not comfortable with, and 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 yeah. So he doesn't have a name. He's Super Trooper. Hey, Super! Oh, that's me. I'm coming. I'll be right there. Right? He's like, uh, mm, no. I, I'm sorry, Hoover. I I can't. I can't do it. I, I I bought a nosy bear, but not a GI Joe figure. I don't even. <laughs> Up is down. Salt is pepper. I don't know what's going on anymore. Man, I'm upside down. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Let's get back to the show. (laughs) Well, we return to Cyclonus announcing.
3: Decepticon target masters, attack!
1: The Decepticons fire their new guns, then throw them at the Autobots. (laughs) I'm not sure this is a great plan of attack. I feel like just shooting and continuing to shoot will work out better. <laughs> but maybe he's hoping that the Autobots will be shocked in, a, in activity like they were when they saw a little men in right. front of them all of a sudden.
0: <laughs> right. Cyclonus like looks across the chasm like, huh? <laughs> and like, yeah, your gun turned into a guy. We've seen this. Remember, we did it first. <laughs>
1: the Cyclonus then declares Decepticon Headmasters destroy...
2: Now they've got headmasters too. Those creeps swiping my idea! I'll sue!
0: Okay, I, I know we were kind of bagging on Mr. Wise's humor, but I actually think that's a funny joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so a lot of combat happens with everyone showing off all their new tech. Misfire tries to shoot with his new target master weapon, but he isn't doing so well. Catch your- more fighty-fight happens, Then Vorath is seen riding on the back of Mindwipe, exclaiming... If
3: I only had some energy-sensing equipment, we could easily find which one of them has the key! Bah! What need have I for your scientific toys? Will I have my extrasensory powers? That one! The key to the
0: plants in my energy chamber! Give it to me! Yeah, this is hands down my favorite thing about this miniseries is these two. Like, I, I just want, I want 20 whole minutes of these guys doing stuff. And I love that, you know, Mind Wife flies down to Brainstorm and he's like, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him. I did not know I loved Mindwipe Hoover. He was, such a, he was kind of a lame character in the comics. But in, in this show, he's, he's like the star. I'm going to have to like track down a Mind wipe figure now.
1: Well, the good news is they just remade him a couple years ago, and he was a Walmart exclusive, I think. Whoa! So you can get a Mindwipe from like a year or two ago.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm totally doing it. I am so doing it. Yeah, he's he's fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, Mindwipe detects the Brainstorm is carrying the key and swoops down, demanding the Autobot hand it over.
3: Go hang upside down from a tree, Mindwipe!
1: And though he talks a good game, Brainstorm gets overwhelmed by an attack from multiple hive members. They make off with the key, but Arcana is able to take command of Brainstorm and grab Nightstick before he can fly away. Nightstick Cyclonus' gun, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for the editor's note, we need that in this episode.
1: <laughs> I didn't want you to have to pull out your scorecard and look, <laughs> look, at, look at your alphabetical list. <laughs> Arcana realizes these are hive members working with the Decepticons. He scans Nightstick at Brainstorm's urging and gets schematics of the Target Master before he's able to break free of the Autobot's grip. The hive members bring the key back to Scorch, who orders that they now destroy the Autobots. But his Target Master, Frakus, retorts, "No, no!
3: We gotta get back to the Hive City. Zara commands it. Never, not until every last Autobot is a smoking pile of rubble." Care about your petty feud? I obey We go! Now!
1: Fracus hovers in the air and points back at Scourge, who, staring down the barrel of his own gun, decides to do as told. So the Decepticons head back to the Hive. The Autobots want to give chase after the key, but Spike says,
2: Forget it. They can fly and you guys can't.
1: Uh, Brainstorm and Highbrow can definitely fly in vehicle mode but I guess he meant we can't all fly and it would take all of us to go attack them. Mm. But Brainstorm thinks he has a little something that can help them get the key back. Those scans of Nightstick that he took have revealed how the Hive modified the Decepticons' guns into Targetmasters.
2: Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Six Rebel sharpshooters?
1: Six Autobots.
2: Let's do it.
1: Time passes and Optimus's ship finally gets to Nebulos. I'm guessing he can home in on other Autobots because he lands right outside <laughs> the caves. That's right. That's
0: a good catch. I didn't pick up on that, but that's true.
1: <laughs> and just in time, too, as Spike has just completed the task. Hardhead greets Prime, saying, Optimus Prime, I want you to meet some friends of mine. All the Autobots and Spike line up, but Prime's not getting it. I don't see anybody. Show him, Cup. Cup's gun leaps down and transforms.
2: Hi, I'm Recoil. Sure heard a lot about you, Optimus Prime. That's not all, not all by a long shot, not by a long shot, no, sir! I'm called Haywire, and I can nail a deceptor creep at four thousand yards.
1: Haha, <laughs> you bet So one by one the target masters introduce themselves.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but Firebolt, who's played by Dick Godier, is Hot Rod's gun. So it's yeah. kind of weird that he, he's playing both characters.
1: Yeah, I would think you'd have to have a pretty good range to pull that off and not make it seem weird, but...
0: Yeah, but he really just sounds like kind of like Serpentor. Yeah, it's just like it's just like older, gravelier, hot rod. So, <laughs> not. And I'm not disparaging Dick Goodye. The man was an actor. You know, he was an actor in Three Quarters. But it's like, yeah, like that performance. Just like, yeah, that's hot rod. So <laughs> it's weird, <laughs> but okay.
1: Well, then Brainstorm says,
2: and we're all headmasters now, Prime!
1: Now, clearly, the emphasis was put on the wrong word here. He says, we're all headmasters, implying that everyone is a headmaster, too. But he should have said, and we're all headmasters now, Prime, emphasizing Mm. the we part of the other Autobots. So it sounds like this one snuck by old Wally Burr. (laughs) Anyway, Prime is pretty shocked.
3: How did this all happen? It's a long story, Prime, with a couple
2: of
1: hitches in it. And boy, if Cups telling you it's a long story, then it's a long story. But it's not a long story because <laughs> it's a
0: clip show. <laughs>
1: so,
0: so once again, it's just like hinting at there's a lot more to this than what we got.
1: <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, they've been on Nebulos for like three days or something. Right, if that. right.
0: And and this goes back to what we were saying at the end of the last episode. like this would have been great as like a you know a twenty six episode season where they were just mm-hmm. stuck on Nebulos. That would have been fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well, they explain that the Decepticons are headmasters and target masters too, and that they've stolen the key to the plasma energy chamber. So Prime leads them on a mission to go get it back. We cut back to the Decepticons where a scourge is getting impatient, but the Hive members declare that Xeric's modifications to the city are nearly finished, so they have to wait. Another shot of the Master Exosuits being the same height as the Decepticons. Thanks, Akon. <laughs> Trigger Happy says, If
3: I have to wait any longer, I'm going to bust a gasket!
1: And just then, the Autobots show up, letting him know that he doesn't have to wait any longer. You dare challenge
3: us after the humiliation we served on you last time? Nothing you served up could ever humiliate an Autobot, Scourge.
1: Alright, you tell him, Prime. <laughs> Woo! So the battle begins anew. RC notices that Scorch has the key, so she and Daniel go after him. They manage to knock him out and grab the key from him, running it back to Prime. The Autobots all surround Prime and Karmo, determined that they won't lose the key again. But then the ground starts quaking, and a booming voice is heard. You are wrong! A giant battle base rises up out of the ground. The Hive members realize that Zarek was successful lifting up out of the ground and hovering in the sky is a black, purple, and green battle platform with a Decepticon logo. Hey, it sure looks like that conveyor belt that the Decepticons all fell into when they were dropped underground. Hmm. Zara continues.
2: Autobots, prepare to feel the sting of... Scarpanak!
1: The battle platform converts into a giant scorpion and starts thrashing everything in his path as the words, To Be Continued, come on screen. Da-da! So, it's probably pretty clear that I don't love this episode, but I don't hate it either. The new Decepticon trio of Slug Slinger, Misfire, and Trigger Happy intrigue me, and I get the urge to delve into them as characters, but thanks to nearly the entire 1987 line being shoved into these episodes, there's no time for delving. Now David Wise pulled off an amazing feat introducing so many new characters, but there's so many that it's just a parade. It usually takes more than two lines for a character to grow on me, so Hasbro's kind of dooming this to fail by requiring so many characters be in it. As a kid, I was excited to have new Transformers cartoons, but I also wasn't super picky. I liked this episode because it was new, that's all. As an adult, I'm much more interested in writing a bridge between season 3 and 4 than I am with what's going on here. It's only pointing out to me that I want to take these characters and put them in stories where they have room to breathe and talk and tell us about themselves. And this ain't it. But... It's probably better than watching Zeke or Carnage and C Minor again. So there's that. So what say you, new Mindwipe super fan?
0: <laughs> I can't hear you. I'm searching for Mindwipe on the Hasbro Pulse website. <laughs> 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 I think it's neat. I think it's it, it's a testament to the flexibility of the series that even when they take like a real sharp turn in another direction guys like us will go like okay that's the thing i find intriguing i'm gonna keep on thinking about that like the mm-hmm. fact that the new decepticon seekers yeah. are so appealing to you given that like my reaction to trigger happy that's that's the, the cafeteria guy right yeah <laughs> it's hard to keep track but like the moment i heard his voice I was like i don't like that guy he's just like he's he's like the joker he's he's your average lunatic uh, psychopath villain right right and like that
1: that's yeah. true That's not a new concept for a villain at all, but it's kind of a new concept for a villain within the Decepticons. Yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. I mean, you did
1: have Mixmaster, who was a little crazy.
0: Yeah, but he was a little crazy in like a 1983 Ruby Spears cartoon way, Mm -hmm. right? Mega, Mega, Megatron. We as (laughs) kids are like, oh, that's adorable. And then as adults, like, oh, my God. (laughs) So. But yes, like like Trigger Happy as the psychopath villain does feel unique, but at the same time, it's like I saw this in a thousand other things, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to Robocop, like one of the one of Clarence Bodiger's guys is basically that character. Good night, sweet prince, you know. And then you had this character. I think Charlie Adler played almost the exact same character in Sky Commanders. (laughs) So But I'm I'm not trying to, you know, diss on your choice there. It's just that like for me. What's interesting is that like the the seekers offered me nothing. I was like, I don't even I don't know anything about these guys, and I don't really care. But then we get to characters like Mindwipe, where I'm like, oh, vampire Decepticon, <laughs> I'm in, you know. So like, th- it's a testament to like how like th- this is the thing I keep on leaning on about Transformers as as a franchise even when we have new shows coming out, like the, the new earth spark show at the time of this recording, earth sparks about to come out where it's like, I've learned to say like, okay, that doesn't look terribly familiar to me. It looks like they're introducing concepts that I don't recognize immediately, but I know that there's enough in here that I'm probably going to find something to like about it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like even transformers, Armada, transformers, Cybertron, which I really didn't care for when I go back and watch clips. I'm like, yeah, there's something here that I recognize and, 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 and enjoy to some degree. Right? Mm-hmm. So, it still fascinates me that this idea of a cartoon series is so flexible in a way that so many others from the eighties were not. Yeah. Right. Where like Hasbro keeps saying like, we're to do a shared Hasbro verse where gem and mask and GI Joe and transformers will all interact. And like, it, it never pans out, mm-hmm. you know, because like those other things, just like, especially GI Joe, where I feel like that, like sort of optimistic, buoyant, violent patriotism just feels loaded now. Right? Like, yeah. I appreciate it when I watch G.I. Joe, the movie, when I watch the cartoons. I love Duke, like, with all my heart. Like, I would marry Duke if he was real. <laughs> but but at the same time, I acknowledge the fact that there's something about him being like, I'm flying around with an American flag in a jetpack that feels kind of a little bit like Team America, you know? <laughs> so, I, it, Transformers doesn't have that baggage, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first thoughts I have is like, wow, despite the fact that there's so much that's going wrong with this miniseries, we're still going like, but that's great. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's because we're like supremely optimistic people. I think it's just that we're like, you know, we we can sniff out when they're doing something that feels fun and interesting with Mm -hmm. the Transformers mythology, you know. I really like the promise of what cooperation offers the two worldviews of Autobot and Decepticon, right? The Autobots are really well versed in cooperating. And we see it in the very first episode that they don't do it well, but when they do it, they pull off something really special because they bring all their unique perspectives together and learn from one another and build each other up to become something that's bigger than what they are. Huffer says, we're not fighters like the Decepticons. I know, but we're all unique in our way. And we're all going to contribute that value into this pot to create like this really significant, opposition to this tyrannical force. Well, what happens when you ask the Decepticons to cooperate? You get that moment when fracas turns on scourge, mm-hmm. right? It's a deal with the devil when you're a Decepticon. Now they're entangled in something that they didn't count on, but they did it cause they had to survive. The Autobots did it for mutual benefit. The Decepticons, yes, there was mutual benefit, but there wasn't a clear declaration of goals. Uh, This is another thing that I kind of get a little foaming at the mouth about is this idea of, and this comes from my work as a teaching artist, Is I spend a lot of time thinking about because you do this when you develop lesson plans, is like, what's the outcome we're going for here? What what do we want the students to be able to do after this hour and a half of activity, right? You have to spend time thinking about that. And the Decepticons because they are you know, whether it's blind loyalty to Megatron slash Galvatron or whether it's seeking their own Position in the hierarchy, whether it's just blind hatred for Autobots, it gives them a myopia, a short sightedness, so they're not thinking about what is the inevitable outcome of this, and so mm-hmm. that's when we get David Weiss did a really good job with that. Like I love the moment when the Nebulans turn on the Decepticons and make them go back home to Zarek, right? <laughs> and and then and then when scourge saying like this isn't over, which I think is a great line that hints at okay, cool, we're gonna get. A new kind of third faction that's sort of embedded in the second faction mm. that's neat mm. but well, we only got one more episode so i don't know how much <laughs> further they can really go with that but it, it's usual like as we've been kind of harping about this last two episodes like it it's just it's continually foiled by the animation as well where stuff that's supposed to feel really exciting and intense just looks kind of silly and 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 I'm not even talking about the animation errors. The animation errors I can live with because in the first 16 episodes the first three episodes of the series, there were so many animation errors, right? We made up characters like Partly and Cloudy because like why are there so many tapes running around? <laughs> there are all these different funny colors, you know? So that that's negligible. I don't I'm not even paying attention. I'm just talking about like when something as dramatic as Cerebros falling down a mountain saying I found a city. And it just feels like, what? Where did that yeah. come from? What is that all about? <laughs> so I'm with you. This episode didn't bother me as much as the first one did. Like, I felt like, okay, it's it's finding a stride of some sort, but it still feels like a highly compressed clip show mm-hmm. of something that needed to be much, much larger.
1: Yeah, if, so. if they'd allowed David Wise to go with his original five-parter, I imagine mm-hmm. this would be a lot more likable.
0: I bet you're right. Yeah, even with the Acom animation, I think we would have looked past a lot because so much would have been happening narratively. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm 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 more on board than I was last time. Let's see, I I love the mystical business with Optimus and Alpha Tryon, and I love they brought back Vector Sigma. Of the Vector Sigma makes a return as an important piece of the Transformers mythology.
1: And it was David Wise who wrote the initial appearance of Vector Sigma back in the Key to Vector Sigma Parts 1 and 2.
0: Oh, that's right. There was a line in here that I really thought was beautiful in that it pointed toward sort of a conversation you and I have had a lot over the last quarter century is like sort of ruminating on what's the nature of the matrix. What is it, right? Is it? Is it simply a massive hard drive that the personalities and memories of past Autobot leaders get recorded onto. Is it a sort of three dimensional portal to whatever the afterlife is for transformers, right? I'll, I'll be one with the matrix when I die, you know, and I remember sort of fantasizing about a Transformers comic where that would get explored in dialogue where a character like Wheeljack would say, no, it's just a hard drive, right? He's the atheist, yeah. right? But then you would have another character, somebody who's more philosophical, like Hound or Beachcomber, be like, no, no, it's, it's the access point to the afterworld or the other world or the greater world, the, the world that unites us all, this Buddhist idea of, like, we're all waves in the ocean, and then we go back to the ocean after our time as a wave is done, that kind of thing. And... I love that. So there's this line that David Weiss uses where he says, alpha Trion says, do not question the wisdom of vector Sigma. His computational matrix is greater than you can possibly comprehend. Right? So it's both mystical in that there's prophecy and there's commands like vector Sigma commands that you get the key to the plasma energy chamber. Right? But there's also this idea that they're saying, well, it's because he's such an an advanced and complex computer. It's not that he's a God. He's not a mystical force. He's a computer that is so beyond our comprehension. He might as well be God. And this goes to that Mm -hmm. idea that any technology sufficient to, you know, or sufficiently advanced would appear to certain people as magic. Right. Yeah. And I love, I love the blurring of the line that he did there. That I felt like was more than we deserved in this episode, Mm -hmm. given everything else that's going on. So I think I covered everything that I felt big feelings about in this and then, yeah, the, the final thought I have is, like, everybody send me Mind wipe for Christmas. As many as you can. <laughs> I'm going to look up the original one. I wonder what he looked like. I don't remember. Oh, he looks great for a 1987 toy. I mean, his wings are just, like, solid bits of molded plastic, and the back of his head is just flat. But, oh, he's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. You see, something good can come out of this series. (laughs) Give it to me. (laughs) I
0: think I'm going to have to make that like an alert noise on my phone. (laughs) All right. So, Hoover, are we coming up to the end of this project?
1: Yeah. Up next is the very last episode of Transformers, episode 98, Rebirth Part 3. This was Mm. the final American Transformers episode for almost a whole decade.
0: No way. You're right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 96 that we got new American produced Transformers cartoons. Holy cow. Wow. All right. Well, everybody go watch part three before we convene again to talk about the, the ultimate episode of the Transformers. And don't forget before you turn off the pod, I know we're wrapping it up and most people shut it off at this point. So I'm going to say real quick, email us, email us so that Mm -hmm. we can do our mailbag episode. And that's at 4 million years later at gmail.com. You know, all spelled out 4 F O U R and, you know, share what some of your favorite transformers episodes were. Maybe a a transformer that you really liked when you collected them. If maybe you still collect them, what's your favorite one now? And maybe share a few reflections on what this podcast has been like for you.
1: What genius things have I said? What (laughs) mediocre things has Jersey said?
0: (laughs) What were some of Hoover's best commercial picks for the commercial breaks? And at what point did Jersey's intellectual tumbling down the stairs make you set it to two speed on your (laughs) podcatcher? I think they
1: have to set it back to half speed just to (laughs) get your fast-talking John machida to a legible level. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my long suffering wife, married 22 years, she has repeatedly said, I suck the air out of the room when I get on these jags. But yeah, yeah, four million years later at gmail.com. Thanks to everybody who's been sending the emails. We're collecting them all and we're going to do a mailbag episode before we conclude this project and figure out what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So if you want to ride on the back of a giant robot bat who talks like Count Dracula, Go write a few nice things about this project wherever you interact with people online. Maybe it's that Reddit thing. Maybe it's TikTok. You do a little TikTok about four million years later. That'd be fun. You know, just share a few things that you like about it. That helps more people find this thing. And thanks to everybody who does that. Hoover, is there anything they can do that'll be a good investment? That'll be very good value for them, but also mm. enriches us?
1: Well, you can go to our Tea Public store, which hasn't had a new design in a while as of this recording, but. Who knows? You could be listening to this in the far-flung future of Mm -hmm. 2029. Mm -hmm. And there could be a whole bunch of designs that I don't even know of as of yet. That's true. So go to tpublic.com slash user slash 4 million years later and you will see the designs we have as of right now.
0: Yeah. Thanks everybody for supporting us that way as well. And the show drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and rss.jdrozd.com for everything I make.
1: And I am Hoover.
0: (laughs) Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. Closing theme is by Nick Maholic, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at SoundCloud.com/nicholas-maholic.
1: That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K.
0: Find us on Facebook under Four Million Years Later, and you can email us at four million years later at gmail.com.
1: Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. Give me my butt.